There's a point this week where I was really praying for the rapture to come. But uh, I'm still looking forward to that day. And, you know, this world's not getting any better, is it? But um, I'm sure glad for the blessed hope we have in Christ Jesus. Um, This morning, I want to get your attention here in uh, Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 and verses uh, 28 to 29. We'll start there. We'll, We'll turn to different passages of Scripture this morning. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I think as, as, as human beings, uh, we love to be amazed. We love to be astonished at something. We, we spend money, you know, going to different things that, that make us feel amazed. We, we travel. We, we hear about places. And, and maybe some of you, you have a a list of, of places that you'd like to go to, some scenery that you'd, uh, you want to uh, look at and, and feel like your, your breath has been taken away. You want to feel amazed. Um, you know, today we have different types of media and, and uh, maybe you, you, you consume those kind of things because you just want to constantly be amazed at a story or, or, or something along those lines. And so you can imagine then the reason why the Lord Jesus gained such a great uh, following. Uh, you can imagine just how amazing and how astonishing uh, Jesus uh, would have been here on earth. And, you know, one of the realities of Jesus is that He is God in the flesh, correct? So what carried through with that was that all He did here on earth, He was just as astonishing and as amazing as God is because God's the creator of the world. If you read through some scripture and read through some of the, the things that God says about himself, we understand that we have a pretty amazing God, right? And so, of course, as you think about the Lord Jesus, who is God, and as he walked around on this earth and did all that he did, all of the miracles, all of the words he said, all of the deeds, and all of those, uh, those things that we read about in scripture, and, and in fact, John says even much more than that, that that the Scriptures didn't even contain, then we could in no doubt say, what an astonishing God we have. We can be pretty amazed at what He has done. And so, uh, in His words and deeds, Jesus was truly amazing. And so, you know, in fact, the Word of God records, again, several times when Jesus caused astonishment. That's the word that the Bible uses. When when men marveled at His words or, or they were amazed at the miracle that He had just performed. You read through the scriptures that the miracles that Jesus performed, he, he raised people from the dead. Now, I don't know about you, I'd be pretty amazed about that. If I was a friend of Lazarus and I was right there in Bethany and I was watching this whole event happen and someone came and he said, Lazarus, come forth, and the dead came forth, I'd be pretty amazed by that, wouldn't you? I'd be pretty astonished. I, I would marvel at that and you look at all of those kind of things that the Lord Jesus did, and, and God records several times when Jesus caused astonishment in, in His disciples, and in the multitude, and yes, even His enemies marveled at what Jesus could do. And all I'm saying is God does indeed astonish, doesn't He? Uh, through His teaching, through His miracles, and through His manner, over and over again, Jesus astonished people. They marveled at His gracious words. They were astonished by His doctrine. 
Multitudes came to see the miracles. Individuals who were lame, halt, blind, deaf, leprous, possessed, injured, and dead came to Him to be healed. And what an astonishment our Savior is. And we read that here in, in, uh, in Matthew chapter 7. Notice here in verse 28. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at His doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And if you know a little bit about that chapter, he teaches a great deal of things. He teaches some things that, that probably those in that day never heard from the scribes. They never really heard it that way, taught that way. And they were astonished at his teaching, at his doctrine. And, and no doubt, if you can just imagine yourself in that situation, you would be as well. You'd be pretty astonished. You'd marvel. You'd be amazed at what God, the Lord Jesus, was able to do. But think about it. Was that the point? Was that the point? Did Jesus simply come to amaze? Did He just come to astonish and to make people marvel at who he was. And, and I'm afraid many times that's what we think and that's how we carry through in our Christian life, what we carry through. We carry through the, in the, this, uh, this idea of being amazed in the idea of, of revival. We've been speaking and, and writing a little bit about revival this year, but then also this month. We think revival is some sort of amazing event. We think like that, that somehow it's just some event that happens in our lives that we get to be part of, uh, like a meeting. We think revival is some sort of meeting or it's a speaker that comes along with, with a great spirit or a great skill or a great oration of words. And, and sometimes we even come, we, we, we really go to things, including church, because we want to be amazed. We go, walk away from a, a normal church service and we want to walk away from that and we want to think, whoa, what an amazing message. What an amazing uh, time we had. And we want God to amaze us. And let's just say this, He often does, doesn't He? But is that the point? That's not the point. You know, many times what we see today is more and more a mentality toward church and the things of God to be one of amazement or astonishment. We want to be amazed when we come to church. Why? Because all around us, that's the drive of the world. We just want to be simply amazed. Uh, churches today are geared toward getting a reaction from its congregants. They just want a reaction. You know, churches, they, they want a worship experience. And so they have great music that drives emotion rather than truth. This brings about a reaction, and what's the result? It's astonishment. Wow, did you hear that? Wow, look at the numbers, wow. And this is equated to God doing a work. That's how what we equate. And a congregation, they want a preacher that can make them laugh and cry at the drop of a hat. They, they want stories and they want to experience a great moving of the Spirit in that moment. You know what they want? They just want to be astonished. They just want to feel amazed at the, 
at what they heard. And, you know, again, we can carry this through in, in our week in a negative sense. You know, I think sometimes the reason why we don't make church a priority or we don't make, make the Word of God a priority is we, we're no longer amazed by it. We're no longer, you know, when we read through the, the pages of Scripture, you know, I've been reading through the book of Isaiah and, and thinking about, you know, who God is. Thinking about what He says about Himself. I read Isaiah 40 this morning about the fact that He's in the end as much as He is in the beginning. And all of that, and the nations are like a drop in the bucket to God. And, you know, we can be amazed by that, but is that the point? And sometimes when we don't get amazed, we sort of go through and maybe you read through just a bunch of names in Scripture, then you don't equate that God did anything in your heart, that God did anything in your life, and, and we're falling for the trap of just feeling like we just need to be amazed by God. And again, can I reiterate this morning, we do have an amazing God. We do have amazing things that He does in our lives, and we do observe that, but that's not the end goal. That's not the point. Jesus' intention wasn't simply to amaze those that were around Him, that were, were following Him. And the people in our text heard His doctrine and they were astonished. Yet was a reaction all He wanted? Is that all Jesus ever wants from us, is that we react to the things that, that we're amazed by? You see, the point of the Christian life isn't simply to amaze us. It's to change us. See, the point of times that amaze us isn't simply to just, just leave us there in amazement. Uh, look, look at Matthew chapter 13, and, and the Lord Jesus travels to a familiar place. It was His home, uh, hometown, His home area. And notice what He says here in, uh, in what the Scriptures say here in verse 53, and it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, He departed thence. And notice here, and when he was come into his own country, he taught them in their synagogue insomuch that they were astonished. So imagine him, the Lord Jesus, in, in your local synagogue, the place where it was of learning, where the scriptures were read, and imagine the one, the author of the Word of God, expounding the truth of the Word of God. And there he was, he was, he was, he was teaching there, and it says there insomuch that they were astonished, and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? They, they heard of the fame of Christ over the course of his travels, the miracles, and the works. And they were astonished at that, and they were astonished at his doctrine. They were astonished at his teaching. And, and we know later that, that they reasoned out in their own minds that, no, this was, he grew up with us. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Aren't, his, aren't his, uh, his, his sisters with us? Isn't his mother there and, and his father, we know him? Isn't, aren't his brethren with us? They ask. Notice in verse 57, they were offended in him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. And a sad verse in verse 58, And he did not many mighty works there, because of their unbelief. So, so notice that they were astonished at his teaching. They were amazed at his mighty works. They, they marveled at, at the wisdom 
that came out of the Lord Jesus' mouth. And yet they didn't do he didn't do anything there. Why? Because of their unbelief. They 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 stayed at astonishment, but they didn't do anything with it. You see, Jesus wasn't about the reaction more than he was about the response. And astonishment doesn't equal faith. Just because you're amazed by God doesn't make you a person of faith. Just because we see things that amaze us in Scripture or we see things that God does in front of our eyes that are astonishing at times, that doesn't mean that that's the point. God is trying to drive us to something and God's not about the reaction. He's about a response in our lives. See, response to what is astonishing, that's faith. When we just simply react and gasp and sort of go, wow, and stay there, it doesn't mean a thing. And so God uses those times for, for reasons and we're going to look at that as we go through Scripture this morning and use some examples. Go back to Matthew chapter 7. And um, let's look at a parable he just shared just prior to this. And uh, look at verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and notices, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And again, this is, this is sort of the, the, the ending point, the ending parable. He teaches different things before that. He talks about judge not, lest you be judged. And he goes through all of those different things in chapter 7. But he's using this to underpin what he's just said. He says, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. So that this is a wise man who does those things that he has heard from the Lord. And the rain descended. And the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And so he's saying there's, this, there's a contrast between these two. One built his house upon the rock, the wise man. There was a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And, and notice what happens. And, uh, and the rain descended in verse 27. The floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house. And it fell, and the great was the fall of it. And the difference was this. One heard and did, and one just heard. One heard and did, and one just, just heard and did nothing about it. And, and, and then he says these things. It, 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 the things we read earlier, they were astonished at his doctrine. And, and, and here's what I'm trying to say in, in, in the first place as we think about this thought here, God uses times that amaze or astonish to get our attention about an actionable truth. So it's not just about the truth itself. It's, it's about the fact that it's an actionable truth. See, sometimes we, we go into, uh, into our, our Christian life and we just want to be amazed. We just want to hear about, we want to hear a good message, but the message isn't the point. The point is we're meant to do something with the message. And we can. We can, we can, have, the, uh, we can have every week, we can have a guest speaker here, and we can have the best of the best. And, and he, can, he can be faithful as faithful can be to the Word of God. 
and he can use uh, elaborate illustrations, and he can show us and teach us through stories, and, and, and he can blow our mind with just the absolute skill that he has to speak. But that's not the point. The point is the amazement will turn into action. That, that as we're amazed by the truths we're being taught, that we're to action those, and God uses that to get our attention about an actionable truth. And we already heard recently in James 1, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. So let's not deceive ourselves this morning. And, and I know you might, I, I'm, I'm, just the, the, I'm just your pastor this morning, and I might not amaze you so much. But I hope we're at least amazed by the Word of God. But here's my point this morning. I hope you don't walk away from here and think, boy, that was a, an amazing truth, and then leave it right here and don't do anything about it for this week. Because the point is God's trying to get our attention at times with some amazing things that He brings across our way to get our attention about an actionable truth. And really, the best sermons amaze us to action. Uh, you know, this morning we could, announce, uh, we could announce that there's gold. I discovered this week that there's gold underneath the stage. I, I, there's gold. If, if, and, and we could announce that, um, but the announcement won't do you any good, will it? You need to action it. You need to uh, come here after the message and maybe grab anything you can to tear this stage apart. Now, this is just a, this is just a story, okay? Don't get too excited. There's no gold underneath the floors. But let's say there was and we announced that. The announcement won't do you any good. But there's an, there's an actionable truth there that we're meant to take. And the danger is sometimes we allow astonishment to be the end, not the beginning. We make it like, oh, we felt good at church today. But boy, pastor really brought it today. Boy, that guest speaker really brought something home for me today. But if we walk away, an astonishment was all we had. And we treated it like that was the end. That was what we came here for. And, and don't do anything with it. Then, then we've, that's a danger. You see, the people who listened to Jesus and only came to be amazed, never acted on what they saw and heard. You know why? Uh, we look at, you look at all of the, 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 the summary of, of Jesus' ministry on earth, and then at the end, only a handful follow Him. It's because they heard a lot of things that were amazing, and they saw a lot of things that were amazing from Christ. But not a great deal of them acted on what they heard and they saw. And that wasn't the point. Look at Acts chapter 1, and, and you're no doubt familiar with this, and this is after Jesus' resurrection, and by the way, that's an amazing thing. It's an amazing truth. But I wonder how that, that changes us uh, each day. In Acts chapter 1, we know this story here in, in verse 8. There's a great commission given, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And those, the, the, that's the great commission where, as we know it. It's been given to us to enact even in this time. And notice here in verse 9, when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. So you imagine this. 
The Lord Jesus is right there, the resurrected Christ. He's speaking to you these words, this commission, go, go ye, be witnesses for me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and uttermost part of the earth. And then suddenly he gets taken up and he starts to float up into the sky. Now that'd be pretty amazing to see. That, that's a great privilege for these disciples to be part of. And then notice what happens in verse 10. While they look steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel and angels, which also said, you men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? Said this same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. You know what he was, they were saying? Why are you standing there gawking? <laughs> Why are you just standing there? Did he not give you a commission to do? Did he not say that he will return? Did he not give you some things to do? And, and off they went. You see the next verse, they returned to Jerusalem, and, and the rest, as they say, is history. But listen, sometimes we, sometimes we bask in the amazing thing that we've been able to be part of. We bask in an amazing truth that we read about maybe in our morning devotions, and then that's it. And we sort of just go, well, what now? And God's trying to get us to the place of amazement, from a place of amazement to a place of action. They had a commission. They had a job to do. And, and you know, we're about to take, uh, come into a month of missions. We're about to come into a month where we're going to, be challenged about the need again of the Great Commission. And, and, and you can hear all the stats. And we can listen to all the sermons. And, and maybe we can be amazed at the great, great work that we still need to do. And, and maybe some of you might even take a trip. And, and I'm sure Brother Anger, who's here this morning, and, and uh, thankful for that. But uh, I'm sure, Brother Anger, you've had many people who just wanted to come on a trip with you because they just wanted to be amazed by the field. But they went there and they came and, and, and perhaps God spoke to them and God showed them something and they just stayed with the memory of that short-term mission trip. But in, in, they never thought about, what do I do with it? And, and this, this month we're going to be challenged again about the Great Commission. And we're going to hear sermons. We're going to have some great preachers come here uh, that, that are, are, are used of God. And, and there's going to be some things that we're, see, we're going to see on the screen. Some stats and some countries and some needs. And, and we're going to talk all about that. But it's not about the event per se. That's just the start. That's just the beginning. It's not about just having that. It's about what we're supposed to do with that. Does that make sense, church? You see, God's trying to get our attention so we can act. It's like when, when uh, Moses, who in Exodus chapter 3 was in the backside of the wilderness, who uh, had wandered away uh, from, the, from the will of God for his life, and he had uh, sequestered himself uh, away from, uh, from Egypt because he had uh, misstepped and he had taken uh, part, uh, he had tried to take God's will in his own hands. And there he was in the backside of the wilderness looking after the sheep. And what did God do? There was a burning bush that, that didn't burn. Actually, it was not consumed. Now, that's pretty amazing. And, and there Moses looked at that and, and saw it. And God says, take your, 
take your, uh, your sandals off. This is holy ground. And there God speaks to him again about going and being the deliverer. He heard the cries of the, of the Israelites. He, he heard their need. And, and, you know, sometimes God brings us to times of special dealing to get us not at the end, but to get us at the beginning, to get us to act. And sometimes it could be a, an interruption to our day. Sometimes God just highlights something for us in Scripture or, or highlights a need or, or just gets us to see something. Uh, I remember a couple of years ago, I was over in, in Blacktown. I was, I was uh, running an errand for Pastor Tom. And I went over to, to Office Works. It was, you know, back then it was either Office Works or Bunnings I had to run to. And so I went over to Office Works. We needed another ream of paper. So I went, went to get some. And, and while I was heading out, something caught my attention. It was a blue, just brand new, top of the line Maserati. And I'm thinking, a Maserati in Blacktown. How rare is that? And I'm just looking, looking at it. You know, I, I, was, I was there, just I had the, the, the boxes of, of reams of paper. And I'm looking at this car going, who owns this? And then I look over, and you know who's coming out of the subway with a shake in his hand? It was Israel Folau. Anyone? I think, I think we all know who Israel Folau is now. He's been in the spotlight a little bit. And Israel Falau comes, comes walking out. And, you know, I, I feel like at that moment I had a choice to make. Do I give this guy a track or not? At that point he was uh, playing for the, uh, the, the Giants, Great, Greater Western City Giants, AFL. Did badly. But anyway, he was a star. And, and, and right there, I, you know, God caught my attention for a little bit. And I just had to stop and just, I gave him a track. And I said, Mr. Falau? You might think you're invincible, but you know, you're not. <laughs> Judgment is coming, and I gave him a track. And you know, to this day, I still claim he's my fruit, all right? But, um, <laughs> but you know, I, I don't know. But, but sometimes God does those things, just small things like that, to just interrupt or get our attention a little bit because he's, he wants us to act. He wants us to action something and and you know the, what I learned from that is 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 we're, we're meant to just we're meant to just be available for God. You know sometimes we'll, we'll we'll God will amaze us through a trial, something something negative in our lives. We already know the Bible tells us to think it not strange when we go through a fiery trial. And sometimes God allows trials, and and, and here's our reaction: we're amazed in this way. Why? Why did this happen to me? How did this happen to me? How did I get here? Why is this, why is this thing in my life? Why, what's happening? And yet in all of that, we're meant to be asking, what am I meant to do with this? And God has a plan, and He's waiting for our response to a truth He's trying to teach us. That's what happened with Job. Job went through that trial, and, and God refined him. God had a purpose in it. But in the end, he just said this in Job 42.5, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. And he, and he understood there was something that, that God had to point out and there was an actionable truth in his life. And sometimes life is the sermon. 
And we aren't to just stop at amazement, but move forward on the actionable truth. And so that's the first thing as we think about that. Secondly, look at Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. We'll turn to different passages of Scripture. I hope you're ready for that. Luke chapter 5. And sometimes God uses our amazement or astonishment not only to lead us to an actionable truth, but to confront and change us. To confront and change us. Sometimes we're so, we're so caught up in the day-to-day that, that God has to, some, to get our attention some way, and He does that so that He can confront us, but then also to change us. And in Luke chapter 5, look at verse 1, and it came to pass that as the people pressed Upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two, sh- two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. So here, th- this was really a typical scene for the Lord Jesus. He, he often taught by the seaside. There he was again teaching here. But, but he says something different to Simon. He says, now when he had left speaking in verse 4, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft. And Simon answering and said unto him, Master, you, you know, remember Simon. Simon's a fisherman. He knows. He knows what, what the tides bring. He knows how to fish. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night. And have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. If you've ever gone fishing all night and come away with nothing, right, Brother EJ? That's pretty discouraging. That's never happened to Brother EJ. Never happened, never happened. But I'm just saying, you know. But you, 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 if you've ever gone fishing and you've caught all, nothing, then you really think there's nothing. So, so here the uh, Simon goes, well, I'll just... I guess I'll do it at your word, I will. And uh, he goes on, and when they had done this, uh, when, and when they had this done, notice this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes in their net break. Now that's every fisherman's dream. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, notice this, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished and all that were with him at the draft of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. You know, they had a calling to follow Christ. But, but it took this astonishment to confront them of this truth that Jesus indeed is Lord. That, that their, their knowledge and their capabilities were, were, were far less than what the Lord Jesus can do. And, and sometimes God has to confront us about what we re- truly think of Him so that He can change us. Notice that they forsook all and followed him. And I think about the, the great missionary quote by William Carey, expect great things from God, attempt, attempt great things for God. And the reason why he could say that was he understood who, 
Christ is. He understood through the, the myriad of things that, uh, that God had done in his life. And, and similarly here for the disciples as they, uh, as they entered into that ship thinking that there was going to be nothing and then amazingly caught a great deal. And you know, God was trying to move them through amazement to a time of changing. You know, sometimes we're amazed by God's dealing, but we don't allow it to change us. Um, look at John chapter 20. You know, th- th- here's a, another example here. Look at John 20. And uh, look at verses 24 to 25. And we're going to look at another disciple, Thomas. But Thomas, in verse 24, one of the 12 called Didymus was not with them when Jesus came. The story here lies in this, the timeline of Jesus had appeared to them Resurrected Christ, again, an, an amazing thing. He had come to them and he had already shown them, uh, them himself to them. And the other disciples therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails. And put my finger into the print of the, uh, of, of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And, And there, you know, Thomas understood from the testimony of the others that Jesus had risen again, but he needed to take it another step further. He needed to be more amazed. And what God was trying to do, what the Lord Jesus was trying to do, was bring them from faith, uh, from faithlessness to belief. He was trying to get them to a place of faith. And He used the amazing to do that. But, you know, we have to allow it to change us. When we don't allow the amazement of God's dealing to change us, what we do is we continually just seek for amazement rather than change. And that's why I believe sometimes we as believers, we just live from sermon to sermon rather than just being in the Word of God like we ought to. Because really, in the, in the grand scheme of things, we just want to be amazed. We just want another story. We just want another illustration. We just want to be confronted again. And, and God's trying to use those times, not so you can be simply amazed, but so He can confront you to change. Many times, God's, God's calling for change. You know, when we come to church or any other spiritual activity for amazement rather than to be helped or changed, we seek the wrong thing. You see, God was bringing us to these times of confrontation. Look at Isaiah chapter 6. Look at Isaiah chapter 6. And we know this story here in, um, in Isaiah's life. It's in the year that King Uzziah died and he sees a vision of the Lord sitting upon the throne. He sees the, the seraphims. He, he sees this scene of heaven. One cries in verse 3, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The posts of the door move at the voice of him that cried. And, and again, can you imagine getting a glimpse of, of God's throne? But notice what happens. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone. You know, the, the amazement and the confrontation led to some self-evaluation. Isaiah's idea of this was that he saw this and it was in comparison to him so much more holy 
and he looked at himself and he said, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. And then flew one of the seraphims in verse 6, having a live coal in his hand. Verse 7, he laid it upon my mouth. It says, Lord, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Then notice verse 8, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then said, I, here am I. Send me. And Isaiah looked at this amazing thing, and it caused him to change. It caused him to come to a place of understanding who he is and whom he was dwelling with, a people of unclean lips. And he understood the need and he said, here am I, send me. And I think sometimes when we, uh, when we take a snapshot of, of church and Christianity today, we're fed regularly with a diet of amazing things. We have events. We have times of God's special dealing at times. But, but rather than, than looking at that going, okay, what is God trying to change about me? We just stick with the, the memory or that, the sense of that event. And God's trying to confront us to change us. See, Paul was confronted, wasn't he? On the Damascus Road, it's all there. He was confronted about his true condition. And his astonishment led to his conversion in Acts 9, verses 5 to 6. And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembled, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And you know, you ever gone to the door or, or spoken to someone about the gospel? And you go through this. And, and you know, in our society today, there's just nothing like the message of the gospel. Every other religion... Every other belief system says, do this, do this, do this. But, but the gospel says it's done. And so can you imagine, uh, and, and if you've never been, you can imagine then, but you have, you've seen this. When you tell people the truth and it dawns on them, a lot of them just go, what? It's that easy? Come on, and, and there's, there's a certain sense of, they're astonished at this. They're amazed that, that God could love them that much. But, you know, God confronts us to change us. And, and sadly, if you know this, there are those who are amazed by the gospel but won't accept it. There are academics all around the world who will write great things about Christ and, and even somewhat mentally uh, give assent to the truth of the gospel but don't accept it. There, there's a certain one in Acts chapter 26, Agrippa, who when Paul was speaking before the court, and there with Festus as well, Agrippa in Acts 26, 28 says to Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And maybe there's someone here today who over and over again you've been told the gospel and you See, the beauty of it, you're amazed by a loving God. You're amazed by the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, you won't. You won't accept it. And maybe today you'd move from that astonishment and amazement to being confronted with it and being changed by it. And I wonder if you'd accept that today. See, oftentimes, the Lord Jesus, as He navigated through 
uh, this, this, his time here on earth, there in Israel, people heard about all of the things and, and yet so many times he would look at them and he would call the generation faithless. You faithless generation. And they would, they would hear great words from the very mouth of Christ. They would see great miracles and great deeds and great manners. And all of it was to naught and oftentimes they wouldn't go to Him. They were content to watch in amazement. And many times, God's trying to get us from amazement to change. He's confronted, confronting us for that reason. And look at the last one. Look at Matthew 28, 21. Sorry, Matthew 21. And notice verses 18 to 21. And here's just the, the simple point I want to make. God uses or brings us to places, a place of amazement and astonishment to help us see or understand an actionable truth. He, he brings us to a place of amazement, marvel, and astonishment to, to help us, to confront us, and then to change us. But then God uses these things of amazement and astonishment, really lastly, to grow our faith in Him. Matthew 21, look at verse 18. Now in the morning as he returned into the city, he hungered. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only. And said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforward forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. So he had an expectation of fruit from the tree. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If ye have faith, and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall, uh, shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And he's trying to teach them and help them understand that, you know, I showed you that, so not, not just so you can marvel, it's so that you can be growing in your faith. So you can understand who I am. And, he, the, and, and many times, God brings us to times of confrontation, not only to change us, but to grow us. And, and church, that's the thing. Th those, those, those amazing times, you know, we pray that God will, will just have a visitation with us every Sunday. We, we pray that God will do a great work, uh, you know, during those times where we prepare and we have special events. But listen, that we're not looking for a reaction. God's not looking for a reaction. God's looking for a response. And that response ought to be to grow in faith. You see, don't just cheer. Don't just cheer when somebody gets saved. See that as God's still working in our day. And you grow in your faith and win someone yourself. Don't just listen to someone else have an answered prayer and have the attitude of, oh, good for them. Bank that in your heart and you become more fervent in your prayer. 
Don't just watch people go forward during the invitation and marvel that God's Word still moves people. You go forward and make your own decision and allow the Word of God to work in your heart. Don't just sit during special meetings like missions conference and think about how amazing it is that we get to send missionaries and that they are sacrificing their lives. Ask God if you should go and be part of giving toward the work. Don't just marvel at what God is doing in someone else's life. Wonder about what God can do in your life. Don't just be astonished that God can use others. Ask God to use you. Don't just look at the other person who got a bundle of invitations and think they have friends. No, you think about who you can invite and how God can use you. Listen, the amazement that we see around us today, and I hope that you listen a little bit this morning. Because God is still working. And God still does amazing things. If you speak a little bit to our missionaries and you think about some of the things going on in different fields around the world. If you think about the Agateps who just had a, a huge amount of children come to their first ever a, a vacation Bible school and, and see you know, dozens of them saved. If you just th- think about what's happening in, uh, in different places all around the world. And you look around and you see what God is doing here in other people's lives, don't just stand there marveling. Think about what you're supposed to do with it. Think about how that's meant to grow you in your faith. You know, many times we, 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 we come along to prayer meeting. And I don't know about you, you, if you keep a list, but you know what I love about lists? Is you can cross things off. Right? Anyone like that? I love lists, and I love crossing things off. And you know what I love the most? When I have a prayer list, and that's been answered, so I cross it off. <laughs> and I look at that, and that's, to me, it's a ledger of amazing things. And you know what that ought to cause in us? Faith. You know what that's going to make me do when I look? Yeah, I'm going to pray some more. Hey, God, God's still working. I'm not going to sit there and go, and make a monument. Listen, sometimes we need to move beyond just amazement. You see, being astonished by God is pretty easy. He is amazing. Amen. But we need to get past amazing and astonishment. Because God's not looking for reaction. He's looking for your response. And He's trying to, he's trying to get your attention about an actionable truth. He's trying to confront you to change you. And he's trying to get your attention so that he can grow your faith and grow your faith in him. And so we're going to move into a time where we're, we're going to ask God to do some great things. But I'm not asking just for great things. I'm asking for God to change us. I'm asking for God to change me. I'm asking for God to, to show me what, what I'm meant to do with what He does. Because God's not looking for a reaction. He's looking for a response. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank You, dear Lord, for, Lord, just the opportunity again. Lord, to be able to open Your Word. And, and thank You, dear God, that it, it just shows us our nature. It shows us, Lord, how we sometimes think how we sometimes behave.
And Lord, through all of that, you cut through and you show us how we're supposed to be. Thank you, dear Lord, that you've given us, Lord, this amazing book. Lord, it's amazing truth. It astonishes us in its depth of wisdom and the fact that we can't exhaust the things that we can learn and grow from in your word. And yet, Lord, so many times I believe that we can be so full of your knowledge and yet so bankrupt in the change and the action that we're meant to take with that truth. Lord, I I believe sometimes we're so satisfied with just the feeling of amazement that we forget that you have a great purpose in it, and that's to change us, to move us. And so I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to move from astonishment to action, from confrontation to change, and from hearing to faith. And help us, dear God, to understand these things as we uh, get into our week. And Lord God, I pray that you'd help us. With every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around, we're going to have a time of invitation. Thank you for me listening this morning. I wonder if there's anyone here today, and uh, as the piano can begin to play, I wonder if there's anyone here today, firstly, I want to ask you this question. If you were to die today, would you know for sure that your sins are forgiven, that heaven's your home? Is there anyone here today that would say, Pastor, as I consider that question, and as I consider the, the message of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, the love that He showed for me, I understand that I'm not saved. I understand there's never been a time where I've accepted that. I've accepted Jesus and His offer of salvation. Is there anyone this morning just with an uplifted hand, just say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm not sure. If I were to die today, I wouldn't know for sure that my sins are forgiven. I've never accepted Jesus as my Savior. Is there anyone here this morning just with an uplifted hand? Say, Pastor, just pray for me. Pray for me. Or is anyone here this morning just say, Pastor, just pray for me. The Lord spoke to my heart about a few things and I just want to, I just want to just respond and say, um, I'm going to, I'm going to take, take up the truth. And uh, I, wanna, I want God to work in my life, and I'm going to make some changes. I'm going I'm to action those things that I'm learning. Is there anyone here this morning? Just say, Pastor, just pray for me. Just pray for me. Anyone at all? See those hands? Anyone else? See those hands? See those hands? All right, let's all stand to our feet. No one looking around as a piano plays. Why don't we do business with the Lord? Why don't we just take some time and maybe just, even if it was just an, uh, a spirit of admission, that we would just admit that, that we need God to just move us from that to there. And um, may the Lord just uh, work in our hearts. As the piano plays, no one looking around, let's do business with the Lord this morning.